Welcome to the Georgia Fintech Academy podcast. The Georgia Fintech Academy is a collaboration between Georgia's fintech industry and the University System of Georgia. This talent development initiative addresses a massive demand for fintech professionals and gives learners the specialized education experiences needed to enter the Hi fintech everybody, sector. this is Tommy Marshall, the Executive Director of the Georgia Fintech Academy. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of the Georgia Fintech Academy podcast. Today's April 28th, 2022, and I have two special guests with us today, Akita Somani, the Senior Vice President of Buy Now, Pay Later Point of Sale Lending from Elevon, and she's coming to us today from London. And then we have Divish Sharma from the University of Georgia, who's working towards a BBA in finance and also a FinTech certificate. Welcome to you both. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, it's good to have you. Um, Akita, students, our student listeners love, love, love to hear these your the career journey stories of successful executives like yourself. So I was hoping in your intro you could um, tell us that story, uh, and then um, and then Divish, I'll come back to you um, for a little bit more involved intro after we hear from Akita. Tommy and Divish, first of all, thanks for having me here. Really excited to speak to you folks today. Uh, so a little bit about, you know, my career story and a little bit of my personal story embedded in that. Um, I spent my growing up years in Lagos, Nigeria and mm-hmm. Delhi, India. And so that in itself was a pretty interesting start for me in terms of having experienced very diverse environments, um, both from a macroeconomic standpoint, but truly from a cultural and, you know, diverse background perspective. Having done my education, I started my career in financial services. I've spent a little over two decades in financial services across banks and payment companies, so the likes of Citi, HSBC, Barclays, MasterCard, and Visa. And really excited to now be at U.S. Bank as part of Elevon in the Merchant Services Division, where we enable payments for consumers and merchants to actually grow their business and serve their end consumers. In terms of a little interesting insight about my career, right, I have, apart from Nigeria and India, lived in Singapore the UK and the UAE, and I'm just about to move to the US this summer. So very global experience, not just in terms of the countries that I have lived and worked in, but also the companies that I have worked for, which all have a global presence. Mm -hmm. What that means is a few things. You have to get in and adapt very quickly. It's no different to when you start a new job is to get in, understand the culture, understand the job, and get going really quickly. Add to that the complexity of actually settling into a completely new place and learning the culture and the expectation of that broader environment that you are in. And initially, it might make the change that much more difficult. But I think that overall brings an attitude of resilience and flexibility, which serves you well in your career overall, and certainly an appreciation of diversity in your day-to-day work environment, Mm -hmm. which we are seeing all the more of today, right? 
I mean, global has taken a whole different meaning during the course of the pandemic with hybrid interactions, some virtual, some in person, which means everyone knows everyone around the globe now. And that appreciation of different cultures really helps you as you start to engage with the diverse set of people in the room, physically or virtually. I think the second thing I would say is take risks, right? Take opportunities. And that has served me really well. Some of these companies that I work for, some of these moves that I made from a geographical standpoint were not planned five years in advance. And maybe 20 years ago, the philosophy was you need to have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 20-year <laughs> plan for your career. Uh, that is no longer the case. It's good to have a sense of where you want to get to in your career, which is not just the position that you're aiming for. It's the areas that spark your excitement and interest, the thing that gets you out of bed every morning and what kind of roles that you want to do. What's the impact you want to create in the industry that you are in? Sh set shorter term goals you know, what do I want to do in the next 12 to 18 months, in the next 24 to 36 months? And how do I get there? And your goals are always going to be a combination of the expertise that you want to develop in your area of work or in the industry and your own career and personal development goals that go alongside it. None of these sit in isolation. They all go hand in hand. And a lot of this development is done on the job. But you will only get access to these things when you keep an open mind. And if something comes along the way, which is what has happened to me in this brand new rule that I've started on Buy Now, Pay Later, it was mm -hmm. not something I would have imagined 12 months ago. The conversation was about what would I like to do next? Kept a lookout on trends that were happening in my industry. Thought about the areas that I would further like to develop my skill set in and apply all the expertise I've acquired over the last two decades and bring that to create value and impact, not just for the company that I work for, but the broader payments industry. That led to a few conversations and those conversations became concrete and led to an opportunity. And now I'm part of a team that's setting up the buy now, pay later proposition for U.S. Bank from scratch. And I was the very first hire on that team. So I think keeping an open mind and taking those risks without necessarily committing to a five-year plan can serve you well in, in a number of instances. And the final nugget that I would share, which has kind of stood out for me throughout my career, is you definitely have to focus on creating impact with the work that you do, but also how you show up to work every day. And a lot of that process is helped by finding the right mentors and sponsors in your career journey. And it's important to have both. It's, um, it's actually a slight difference between having a mentor and a sponsor. And you need to understand who in your career plays what role and how you leverage them to grow your career journey. For me, that has been a big part of my journey right throughout and enabled me to make those multiple moves within my existing company, but also in those international moves that have taken place. Mm -hmm. Awesome, thanks for that. 
Um, David, tell us just a little about you, and then I'm just curious to see if you had any questions for um, Akita based on it was that that was a you know really great kind of set of suggestions, and wanted to see if any of those kind of resonated for you as you've been thinking about starting your career. Yeah, so uh, so I'm currently a senior at the University of Georgia, um, as you mentioned earlier. Um, part of the uh, financial technology program here, and I've been loving it. Um, uh, thank you for uh, sharing some of your background, uh, Mrs. Samani. Uh, it was interesting uh, learning about uh, uh, you know adapting quickly, taking risks, keeping an open mind. Uh, those are definitely some things I'd want to uh, bring bring into my own character moving forward. Um, I I had a question about um, uh, you, you talked about expanding uh, the, the base for uh, digital payments. Um, I, I was wondering, uh, you know, what are some of the strategies being used to bring on, uh, say, like senior citizens uh, into uh, the digital payment space? And I would imagine that would be one of your main hurdles. Devish, that's a great question, right? So when we think about payments and digital payments in particular, we need to think very intentionally about the strategy for education and adoption across the different consumer segments, um, be it on the basis of age or geography or access to technology and digital devices. So let's focus on the senior citizen part of your question, right? Um, interestingly, during the pandemic, the transition uh, from cash to digital payments has been accelerated because a lot of the transactions were happening remotely. And the outcome of that, and it's based on some research that was um, customized for the European countries in particular, done by Ipsos Mori, the older the customer segment, the more likely they were to stick with that transition and continued use of digital payments post the pandemic. And I think the hurdle really is in getting the education and adoption right in ensuring that we communicate with that segment of consumers in terminology and language and access that they understand. So for example, as a senior citizen, I'm more likely to walk into a branch for assistance related to my financial services, as opposed to a younger consumer, which is doing everything on their mobile app. And what that means is that's an opportunity to interact with and educate that senior citizen about how they could leverage these new digital services and manage everything at their fingertips without needing to actually walk in physically to a location to do that, right? So the, I think the education at multiple touch points in a way that is simple for them to understand is really, really critical. And in addition to that, transparency in terms of what this involves, right? Um, in simple things like the potential of fraud online, the potential of um, if you wanted to return goods, how does it work in the digital versus a physical payment transaction? 
I think it's important to make those things very clear for that segment of consumers. David, I mean, I'm just curious about your interest in that particular consumer segment of senior citizens. I'd say often when we're talking with students in this podcast, there's a lot of just general inter- emphasis in, you know, Gen Z, your your crowd. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, tell, can you tell me it, where, where you where, just do you have an interest in that that uh, demographic or how how that's uh, arisen? Yeah, so um, I, I think it comes from uh, just some discussions in class where we talked about how, um, you know, getting those older customer segments are uh, a, b- a bit harder. Um, and, yeah, we would talk about how, like, uh, they're more likely to engage with a bank that has brick and mortar you know, locations and not like a like a neobank, like Ally. Um, yeah. Awesome, cool. Um, okay, can you maybe just tell us a little bit, give us some contacts for the for the Elevon business um, in, in Europe, and then I guess I'm also just really curious to hear a bit more about the buy now pay later capabilities that that are beginning to be put together under your leadership. Um, we've had listeners, you should know, uh, Jamie Walker, the the CEO of Elevon, was with us on this podcast recently. I, I remember the exact episode, but several a few weeks ago. So um, I encourage all of you to go also listen to the uh, conversation with Jamie, where he, he touched. Okay, he touched for just a second on the um, the business outside the U.S., but but it'd be really it'd be awesome to just kind of hear a bit more and get a bit more color on that. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Jamie mentioned in his podcast that if you come to Europe, you'd be able to see the Elevon name on a number of terminals uh, in, you know, retail outlets which accept payments. So um, just like in the U.S., in Europe as well, we are a leading provider of payment services to retailers, be it small businesses, mid-sized businesses or large corporates such as hotels and airlines. For them to be able to accept any form of payments from their consumers, right? So if I'm trying to book an airline ticket, either online or at the airport, um, the Elevon infrastructure, not just that machine that you have there physically or the checkout page, which allows you to enter all the card details, but the transaction that happens in the backdrop and the processing that happens is all managed by Elevon. And that's something that we're really good at in terms of enabling the merchants to take those payments from their consumers and make it easy to complete their purchase transaction. And we operate across multiple countries in Europe, uh, including the UK, Ireland, Poland, Germany, the Nordics, um, and uh, we've got presence across other markets as well in the form of several multinational clients that we serve pan-Europe. So Elevon has quite an exciting presence across Europe with all of these different merchant segments. We go direct to the merchants as well as work with a number of banking channel partners as well as what we call our integrated software vendor partners, which provides 
specialized solutions to some of these merchant segments and industries, and we embed payments into it as a seamless interaction for both the businesses and the consumers so that it's not one more thing that the merchants have to worry about. It's actually integrated in their day-to-day business and helps them manage their business, their cash flows, and grow their business in a way that they would like to. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. David, any, does that resonate for you? Um, kind of any, any questions generated there? Yeah. Um, uh, I was wondering if there's a particular country, uh, perhaps within Europe, or any region of the world where you'd say this adopt where this um, adoption of digital payments has been uh, quicker or slower than others and um, and if there's any reason perhaps you would know behind that yeah so I think the adoption of digital payments uh, is kind of dotted around the world in terms of um, you know speeds so there are some markets in Asia for example um, you know China, Australia, and the like, which have been at the forefront of digital acceleration in terms of the ability of payments. So whether it's the, you know, WeChat pays or the Alipays of the world, or in markets like Australia, where you make pretty much every transaction on, you know, um, digital payments. Two markets in Europe, such as um, the UK, as an example, And then, you know, there are some markets uh, elsewhere in the world where digital payments has picked up really quickly. So I think it's kind of dotted all around the world. Um, I think the speed of adoption is based on the country's infrastructure for payments, as well as the makeup of consumer segments. We touched a little bit earlier and, you know, Tommy made a great point to you, Divij, about the Gen Z looking at digital as kind of their entry point into financial services. And you spoke about neobanks. So I think the makeup of the consumer segments, the country's availability of payment infrastructures, for example, in the US today or even in the UK, you can make a real time bank transfer to anybody and it will be in their account in seconds, right? You can't do that in every part of the world today because Mm. the core infrastructure does not allow you to do that. Mm. So I think those are definitely critical factors in terms of the adoption of digital payments, but you'll see pockets of high digital adoption and low in different continents around the world. I wouldn't really say that there is one continent that kind of dominates the digital payments landscape. The uh, the one credit on infrastructure, just because we were talking, you mentioned Lagos, Nigeria earlier. Um, we've, we've spent some time talking with folks in Nigeria, and we happen to have a, a re- relatively meaningful number of students in our program from Nigeria and have had a lot of interest in what's happening in fintech in Nigeria. And as I've gotten to understand the country better, the, the payments infrastructure there is remarkable. There's this uh, inner switch uh, network that was built, I think, quite some time ago that has the real time um, clear and settle capability, which as I began to understand its capabilities, I was on I was kind of blown away. I mean, it was it's better than what our how our ACH system here, our automated clearinghouse system works here in the um, in the in the United States. 
So a little bit of perspective, right? If uh, I look at both countries that I grew up in, Nigeria and India, and, and you know, to Nigeria, I would add Kenya as well. Uh, I don't know if you saw the news recently. Google just launched a product uh, innovation hub in Kenya to focus on product oh. development within Africa uh, in particular. Mm. And the reason for that is uh, there is a huge population of entrepreneurial individuals in those markets who are keen to try and, you know, enable different business models in the country, not just related to payments, but a lot of other opportunities. So that entrepreneurial mindset is really high in those markets. Um, the access to um, labor and technology is also pretty significant and adoption as well. So if you just looked at penetration of mobile devices in you know market like Nigeria, um, you know it, it would be higher than one per individual because because that's the way they transact on a daily mm-hmm. basis. And it's also one of those countries, including with Kenya, right? where your mobile actually also becomes a payment device because your the telcos have enabled financial services on the mobile. So you can actually exchange money using your mobile network. So yeah. I think a function of the sheer size of the population, that entrepreneurial mindset, that thought process of how do we make our sort of day-to-day, you know, simpler, easier. When something's being developed in a market like Nigeria or even India for that matter, they don't start thinking about how am I going to do it for the Africa region. They start with a very local problem and try to solve for that. I think that gives you a little bit of a head start as opposed to large corporates and companies. When we think about problems, often our approach is how are we going to solve this problem for all of the US or all of Europe and or globally, uh, which can sometimes distract, you know, from the core problem that you're trying to solve for a very specific use case. And therefore, they've made great advances in terms of technology as relates to mobile, as well as payments and financial services. In fact, they have a great program around credit for micro women entrepreneurs there, which again focuses off the back of data that they collect by streamlining payments and therefore being able to get these entrepreneurs access to smaller credit through traditional institutions off the back of that payments data. That's yeah. It's real. It's just fascinating to me, and it's it's just it's 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 super exciting. You know, begin to understand and um, these different um, kind of solutions that are coming forward in the in these really high. You you stated it great, like this. You know, really high entrepreneurial um, engaged communities. Um. Divage, what else is on your mind? What else? Any other kind of big questions for Akita uh, before we begin to kind of move into the news segment? Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you get any exposure um, to the regulatory side of things. Uh, yeah. Is there a, a, what have been the uh, major challenges uh, from that end? Is there a is there a particular area, say, you know, within digital payments like privacy, perhaps, where uh, certain areas are more 
you know, reluctant to, you know, give autonomy to companies and others? I think that's a fantastic question, right? The uh, in financial services and payments, uh, in particular, right? The data privacy regulation goes back to your geographical question earlier are quite different by region. So for example, the European region is potentially the most stringent in terms of how customer data can be leveraged. And whilst this was the region to first enable the opportunity that comes with open banking to enable consumers to have more choice with the financial services and products that they get, that all has to be done in a way that enables customer consent to share their financial and payments data, to enable the right set of offers to be made available to them for different financial products and services, right? Which is why, and the constraints around the privacy and managing of customer data is one of the barriers in terms of being able to use that data to make the right offers and approaches to customers, and therefore it's highly regulated from that perspective, right? Um, Now, having said that, right, obviously the interest is to protect the consumer's interest in this whole scheme of things. So whether it's related to privacy or whether it's related to some of the new emerging trends around buy now, pay later, as Tommy mentioned earlier, what the regulator is trying to do is protect the consumer interest but at the same time, create a level playing field for traditional providers like banks and the new players like fintechs to all make competitive, solid offerings to consumers to give them a whole range of choice. Historically, consumers didn't have a whole lot of choice and they were subject to a whole set of fees and charges that they didn't necessarily understand, right? for something as simple as a bank transfer, right? Because payments is not just about card payments. Payments is me as a person or as a business making a transfer of money to any other individual or business around the world. And it could be done in multiple forms and channels. And the objective of the regulation really is to protect that within a certain framework so that consumer interest as relates to privacy, as relates to fraud, as relates to paying undue fees and charges is all taken care of. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, there's, um, yeah, there's, we we need our colleagues and other multiple other professionals to help. I know me keep on track top of all the different regulatory schemes and uh, what needs to be handled. But uh, the one you brought up, open banking, it, driven by the payment services directive, really just remarkable piece of legislation in uh, in Europe, which in many ways. Divage has really kind of transformed how uh, payments are thought of, how data is handled um, in terms of the, the traditional banking uh, operators as well as um, different you know, payment providers um, and the, really all the 
all the players in the ecosystem. And it's providing some kind of interesting um, uh, use cases for our thinking in the U.S., although our regulator would never kind of do a similar thing. Well, I don't think so <laughs> uh, in the U.S., but um, it's really been quite an incredible um, set of transformations recently. Yeah, and it's forcing more traditional players, whether in payments or broader financial services, which to actually think differently. Because going back to the neobank example, today, if I were to open an account with a neobank, it would be under a minute that I could actually populate all my details, my ID, get it verified on that app and have my account up and running and my virtual card in my Apple Pay wallet to start transacting. I don't even have to wait for a physical card or any other documentation to arrive. So within a matter of a few minutes, I could be up and running on a brand new bank account with almost sort of negligible steps in there. And therefore, traditional players are having to rethink how they do that, not from a banking perspective, also from a payments perspective. And this is something that we've been continually working to streamline. And Tommy, you spoke about Europe earlier, right? There's an incredible focus from our perspective on improving that onboarding experience for businesses where they can self-serve, they can access the information digitally and right from accessing the product information digitally to engaging you know with the sales representative to actually getting on board with the service the objective and the ideal is to have all of that seamlessly done online and then enable the business to self-serve themselves through our online portal and other interaction channels so the whole objective is to you know make everything seamless and digital and self-serve whilst giving the merchant and the consumer choice as to you know which player they want to engage in what works best for their business or their finances mm-hmm. david i know you now understand payments is where it's at you gotta you gotta get started in payments <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've reached that point where um, in in each of our podcasts, we like to um, kind of see if there's any interesting fintech related news that's caught your respective attention in the past week. Um David, I'll start with you. Any any news stories caught your attention? Yeah, um, I heard some rumors that Robinhood is laying off nearly ten percent of their um, employees. Have you heard that? I did. I saw this in the news the other day that um, Robinhood. You know, I think they've been in kind of a rough spot um, with all the market volatility, um, really, and the down market we've seen in the equity markets in the last, um, really, this entire year so far. So, um, and if you if you have much understanding of Robinhood's business model, there's always been a bit of a question mark on how they actually make money because um, they don't charge fees, all the tradings for free. Um, and there's there's a thing called – get in too much detail. But there's a thing called payment for order flow, and you can get paid um, to route trades to other uh, broker dealers. So there's um, a little bit of money that they make that way. But anyway, they – 
they're in a kind of clearly, obviously clearly now kind of in a rough spot um, if they're having to lay off 9%, which is roughly 300 of their staff. Um, so um, it's going to, I think, be interesting to kind of keep an eye on that company in the coming in the coming near term to see how how that situation evolves. Um, Akita, how about you? Any yeah, well, that- I've, I've got a slightly more upbeat piece of news. So U.S. Bank has just launched the U.S.'s first Spanish language voice assistant for banking. And this is quite in line with our overall access commitment to diverse communities, improving the overall environment for not just our employees, but also the communities that we serve and operate in. And the intention is to put that focus on customer experience, which is what we've been talking about today, and help these customers to interact with their financial service provider by creating new digital tools that enable them to bank however, whenever, and wherever is best for them, which means all they have to do is speak into their smartphone in Spanish or text in Spanish, and this assistant is able to recognize and track that and interact with them in Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, that's super exciting and, you know, great accomplishment getting that out in the market. I mean, particularly in the U.S. where the Hispanic community is such a just really growing, growing uh, part of our of our um, of all so many communities across the United States. And certainly U.S. Bank is one of the largest banks in in the country here in the U.S. Um, You know, really awesome to see that type of um, leadership being provided in terms of capabilities and functionality. Um, the only one, the one other news item that that I really kind of got pretty excited about on was on Monday, and this was uh, Fidelity Inform- Investment Services. They were noting that they they offer um, beyond their typical broker dealer kind of customer accounts, they also offer a very significant um, kind of four hundred one k business to to the, I think thirty. I'm going to get the number wrong, but it's tens of thousands of employers in the U.S. And so this is uh, for the the 401k accounts. If you have a 401k account um, as a a part of your benefit plan with your employer. So now in your 401k, Fidelity is going to allow employers to let uh, employees invest in cryptocurrency in the 401k. Um, So they're the first to do this. And... um, I think uh, it's pr- it's very interesting, bold, and um, again, I think a really interesting development in the um, certainly in like the investment services landscape. Uh, and I'm curious to see also how that begins to evolve, and if others do the same, and and how this might play out. Well, listen. Um, it's been great having you both with with us today. I really, Akita, it's been great getting to spend a bit more time with you, getting to know you a bit better. I'm excited for your move to the U.S. Um, and I look forward to having a chance to meet you in person and and um, 
we our relationship with U.S. Bank Elevon and the Georgia FinTech Academy is is deep and strong and very meaningful to us, and we're very excited um, for the coming, uh, really the coming school year as we're wrapping up the school year. We're already starting to think about the next one, and a lot of different programmatic uh, efforts we want to put in place um, with Elevon. Well, thanks again for having me, Tommy. And as a diversity, equity, inclusion champion for our payments business globally, I'm really proud of the partnership with Georgia Fintech Academy and the opportunity that it brings for us, not just as a business, but the interaction between the business and your student population. The Georgia Fintech Academy podcasts are available on iTunes and Spotify. To obtain additional information about the Georgia Fintech Academy, please visit our website at georgiafintechacademy.org.